Welcome to another edition of Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you download your podcast and you subscribe, Google, Apple, Spotify, whatever it may be, subscribe to Smith and Jones. And hey, make sure you rate and review as well. We've got another jammed one coming for you this week. And uh, Doug Smith from the Toronto Star is going to join us later on in the program. But let's jump right into it right now. A guy that we hadn't seen for at least a couple of years through the pandemic and whatnot. But on Wednesday night, when the Raptors hosted the Los Angeles Lakers, we knew that Charles Oakley was going to be in town, but we didn't necessarily know that he was going to have a friend with him and uh, a guy that we've known for a long time as well. We bring him into the conversation right now. One of the old Flintstones from his Michigan State days, Morris Peterson. Mo, it's always great to chat with you, and, and this is kind of topical given what happened uh, uh, last Wednesday at Scotiabank Arena. And listen, it, it happens all the time. It's not like it just happened to the Lakers or just happened to Raptor fans. But this whole idea of certain guys, especially superstars, resting, this is going to be something that I'm sure Jones and I are going to chat about over the course of this this show as well at a on, on a bigger scale. But I think about guys resting, and then I think about some of the Ironmen in the history of the game, and you're one of those dudes I don't even remember what the hell the number was. I probably should have done my research and looked it up ahead of time, but it was like 600-plus or 700-plus or something. Like, well, what was, the, what was the mindset, let alone the physical preparation, that you had to go through in order to play through, which I'm sure was multiple injuries, multiple bumps and bruises, multiple times where you were nowhere near 100%, but you continued to keep going out there and playing in spite of how you might have been feeling and in spite of other guys that might have ultimately decided to take a game or two or a week or two off? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, you hit it on the head. Um, Matt, it, it's Oak, – Oak and I were talking about this. We were talking about how the league has changed and how, you know, older guys or guys uh, getting days off or if they, they if it's a back-to-back, they might not play the second night. Man, we that that was so foreign to us, man. Because I mean, we were just looking forward to playing each game, and it, I think it was just it was like survival of the fittest. You know, I remember playing some games. I remember uh, turning my ankle so bad in the, in, against the Pistons one game one day, and then we had to play New Orleans the next day. And I like I, I left I left in cr- like basically on crutches, and um, so I get rehab, get treatment because I didn't want to miss a game. And I remember playing, end up playing that game and. Um, just you look at um, now, man. Superstars resting, uh, man. That's I don't know, man. That's that's just unheard of. I really, I, me, I, I really don't like it. I don't like it because um, I understand you have to, you know, protect your investment. You have to, you know, protect some of the guys who who've been playing, you know, playing for a while, and and uh, look at the big picture. But um, I mean, for a guy to look up, for guys to look on the schedule and say. Uh, you know what, I might not play this game, this game, that game, and they end up playing 65 games or 60, 65, 70 games just because they need to sit out. Man, I, that's just unheard of. I just, I can't, I don't know, I can't just put that into into words, man, because uh, we, we never we never face that. And it's just, you know, I, I, you know some of the fans I know want to come and see, uh, you know, guys like LeBron, yeah. guys like Anthony Davis, for them to sit out. You know, some guys, some, some fans mark that on their calendar, you know, come see some of these big games and stuff and for guys not to play uh, it's, it's a little disappointing it's definitely a little disappointing but I, I do understand uh, trying to make sure guys healthy and 
And um, and it's been a topic for years, you know, about the number of games, you know, whether 82 games is, you know, it's a that's a grind, you know, and they don't make us like like Oak say they don't make us like they used to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, it's a grind. So I know they talked about shortening the season, shortening some of the games, you know, putting in different tournaments and and things like that, uh, which is fun for the game, but. Maybe they do have to look at the number of games played uh, throughout the year and, and and figure out a number where guys feel comfortable and, and, and know that they could be healthy and bounce back. Well, Mo, let, let me go this because I'm, I'm even older school than you. Um, guys wore it as a badge of honor to play 82 games. And uh, I think your streak was uh, somewhere in the 500s. I don't remember off the top of my head, like Eric said. I should probably Google it, but... Man, Jonesy, what um, were you doing this last two minutes? You could have been Googling. I guess I could I have been listen- Googling, too. I was listening. <laughs> you, you can Google, too. You can Google, too. I was listening to my guy, Mo. I'm not going to do him like that, like tune out. So, Mo, let's take it kind of another step forward because, uh, you know, you mentioned a few things that really tweaked with me really really hit home with me people looked at the schedule in august and said oh december 7th lebron in toronto and the lakers their one visit is close to the holidays maybe it's going to be a gift for somebody all of those things and then you show up and he's not playing yep. and it's tiered pricing i eric and i we we're broadcasters but we pay for our season tickets I know how much I paid for my tickets last night for my family to come and watch. And there was no AD and no LeBron. So there, there are those things. And, and Mo, I know, I know we've talked about it. You're right. Like Oak said, they don't build them like you guys. But if you cut it from 82 to 75, guys are still going to miss games. In this era of load management and resting, they're still going to play 50, 55 games. If you cut it from 82 to 65, then guys are going to play 45 games. I, I just don't think this genie's going back in the bottle, Mo, in terms of guys missing games. That's true. I mean, that that, that could be. That that definitely could be. Um, you know, 82 games is a, is a drive, but also you get, then you start getting into, you know, how long will it take certain certain guys to, to reach – certain things if, if some of the games are shortened, you know, some of these records won't ever be broken, you know, um, it's just, it's unfortunate, man. Like you said, um, you know, having, you know, having season tickets and then, you know, marketing on the calendar, I would just, just wish, you know, guys would just look at the bigger picture, you know, um, I don't know, man, that's, that's a tough one. That's, that's a tough one, man. Like for me, I never wanted to miss a game. I mean, I, I did not. First of all, I, I didn't know how long of a career, you know, I, w- I was going to have. And you never know. It used to be survival of the fittest, you know. It used to be the survival of the fittest. Now guys get, getting rest. And, um, I mean, it has its – I won't say that's a total bad thing because it does have its pluses and minuses because, um, you know, Tim Duncan, you know, those guys used to used to do that when they was in, were in San Antonio, especially after uh, making, making it to the finals a uh, certain amount of times. Um, you know, playing a certain amount of games and seasons and stuff, they, they do become a drag. I just think that uh, maybe you got to find a system where, you know, the, the practices are, are just a certain a certain time. You know, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. That's something that we're really going to have to look at because 
it's unfortunate when you look around the league and now you have not now you have to look look on the schedule and say, Oh man, you know what? This guy has a back to back. I don't even know if he if he gonna play or not. I don't know if I wanna go you know, just I don't know if I wanna go to the game and just dealing dealing with all that. I wish it was just a better process. Speaking with Morris Peterson, all right, Mo, Mo, let's let's play a little trivia here for a second because I was listening to you, but I did do some googling while you were talking to to make sure we got the number straight. Do you do you have a rough idea? Do you have any idea what the what the Iron Man streak was? What my Iron Man streak was? Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. You know what? It would it would have been longer if I wouldn't have broke my hand my second year. So um, I would say I think it was maybe three hundred some games, a little under four hundred, maybe three hundred seventy, yep. hey. something like that, seventy one, like that. Leave leave it to the man to to know about himself. What did I say? Like five, six, seven hundred or something, Jonesy? You were coming in around five, six hundred. It was three hundred and seventy one straight games. But here's a here's another oh, trivia nice. question for you, Mo. Nice. How many games in your seven years with the Raptors? No disrespect to to New Orleans or OKC, but in your seven years with the Raptors, how many games do you think you missed in seven seasons with the Raptors? Um, I would say my first year I played 80 games. My second year I, I missed, I think, 19 games. Um, then I went on a streak where, you know, I was playing. So I would say probably my first seven years I, I probably missed under 30 games. It's just over 30. Just over 30. And you, you were bang on. Jonesy, in his rookie season, Mo played 80 games, started 49 of them. Then in his second year, as he mentioned with the hand, played 63 of 82. So that's 19 games missed plus the two the previous year. That's 21. Then in year three, four, five, and six, four straight seasons, played all 82. And then in his last year, missed 11 games, played 71. Actually, hold on a second. That was the year that it was shortened to seventy-two games, anyways, right? Right. So, so scratch that. No, you only missed no. one game. No. Was that the no. year? No, it was the following year. It was the following year that it was seventy-six. Oh, the, the following year that it was seventy-six. So you're right. So he did miss eleven. So you add that up, then that's thirty-two games in seven seasons, including four straight years of playing all eighty-two. So, Mo, I'm going to circle back for a second to to what I asked five minutes ago. You talked to me about the. The, the, the physical approach, but let me get more from you the mental approach, but then also, you know, if I can, if you don't mind me bringing it up, something we were talking about a little bit off air, if you knew then what you know now about diet and food and food for your body and your build and your blood type and all that stuff and, and how that, like, how could that have maybe impacted things even more positively for you like there's so much that goes into prepping as an athlete right it, it, it does it really does man i think um i don't think people understand the you know the mental approach you have to take uh, and I, I was fortunate where i have some vets on the team you know watching them hey why you why you get in um you know why you get in a hot tub before the game or why you get in the cold tub you know i ask a lot of questions so um I just started incorporating that. I'm like, well, you know what, man? These guys playing. He in his 13th year in the league, and I see him in a hot tub, you know, and um, in, in, in a cold tub, going back and forth, you know, steam room, just making sure he's taking care of his stuff. You know what? I'll, I'm gonna have to do that. You know, I'm trying to soak in everything I can to play, you know, as much and as long as I can. And um, I was able to do that, uh, you know, 
take that mental approach where, you know, before the game, I'm, you know, I'm steam room, icing. After the game, I'm icing. I'm getting, I'm back there with Ray Child getting, you know, getting massages, getting, um, you know, um, stem on my ankle. If it's, if it's anything sore, I just had to stay on top of it. And when I started staying on top of it, I noticed my body just, you know, picking up and recovering faster. But if I would have known the effects of eating, really known effects, I mean, it was it was times before the game, Vince and I would send a ball boy to run to McDonald's and get us two double cheeseburgers <laughs> before the game, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, and now I'm vegan. You know, and I feel great. I feel just as good as I did when I was younger, if not better, just because my body, I don't know. It's, it's, I've been vegan for almost six years, and um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't start off saying I was going to go vegan. I just wanted to say I, I want to do an experiment. Cause I was eating pork. I was eating chicken. I was eating fish. I was eating all that stuff, man. Um, and I was like, you know what, let me just stop eating pork and see where, you know, see how I feel. So I stopped eating pork. I was like, okay. Um, another experiment, I'm like, all right, well, let me let me stop, you know, eat as much chicken or fish, you know. And um, I, I started doing that, and I started doing research on uh, vegan, being a vegan, and, um, you know, some of the proteins and some of the things that they, you know, incorporate to their, uh, to their uh, lifestyle, you know. So I started doing that, and I just noticed my body started recovering faster. Um, you know, my, the inflammation I'm having in my, was having in my body started going away. Um, if I would have, if I, I tell people all the time, man, if I would have been vegan while I was playing, I probably still would have been playing. Now, I still probably would have just been retired at 40. You know, um, I mean, real talk, because I think that's the that's the key. It's like, if you look at guys like LeBron, and I don't know if he's vegan, but I'm pretty sure he, he doesn't eat a, a whole lot of, you know, dairy and, and stuff like that. And um, really investing in my body more. But I wish I, I wish uh, if that's something I could tell all the guys that's playing now. I even tell my son now, man, if you invest in your body, you know, while you're young, it's gonna pay off for you. And um, it has. It's really, you know, I feel I feel great. Uh, you know, I, I got a. Uh, I'm able to run around and hang out with Chase. My my kids play basketball with my son. Um, you know, he's still he 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 got for some reason he's nine and he thinks he can beat me. So he, he gets close. But I can't, I can't let him beat me. Man. I, I'm about to do him like my dad did me. Uh, when I turned 13, I played him one-on-one, and he beat me, and he never played me again. <laughs> so even there now, it is. Like, yeah, you only finish your last game. So, <laughs> so but no, but there it is, Mo. Uh, I, I... That, that lifestyle really has, uh, you know, if I if, if I would have been able to put that together with the mental aspect, the mental approach as well, uh, I think I would have played longer. I hear you, Mo. I had to pull out every trick in the book to beat my two for the last time. And when I walked inside, sore in the driveway, it's like, Dad, when are we playing again? I'm like, we're done. We're done. That's it. That's it. Um, but, but Mo, look at, looking at the league now, looking at the league now, and as you said, if you were, you were just a little bit early for the, uh, the up-tempo uh, – I hate to give some credit, but, you know, the, the analytics and the, the shooting the three and you were just you just missed some of that. I, I really believe that it was just kind of starting to come in and get popular when you were on the tail end of your career. But evaluate the league now for me and Toronto. You sat courtside with Oak. How they fit into the current state of the league with 
you know, last night you, you look at the lineup out there and it's, it's Coloco, Pascal, Thad Young, Chris Boucher. You got all guys the same size that can play on the perimeter. Evaluate that for me and what you see maybe going forward for the Raptors, the way they're presently constructed. I like uh, I like the direction that the NBA you know is going because you know it's it's entertainment you know people want to see scoring people want to see some excitement and um, you know when I played it was come down it, you know throw the ball on the post and, and move out of the post and play out of the post uh, majority of the time and um, you know I remember times you come down and you know it's still sixteen or seventeen on the shot clock and you put them in the three you might get taken out the game. Now you're getting taken out the game yes. and not taking that shot. You know? <laughs> and and uh, Oak and I talked about that, too, the, the difference. You know, you look at it now, you're like, man, how is that guy, you know, I mean, I mean, I remember being, guys being in a, a, a center in the NBA, and you young, oh, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get beat up the whole year. It's gonna, I remember C. Bosch was 19 years old and was uh, playing center for us, and I remember him getting beat up every night, man. He just kept coming, kept coming. Nowadays, the lane's a lot more open. you got a center uh, who will who, who, uh, uh, shoot the three. You know, sometimes the, uh, the ball works out of the center. You look at Jokic. you got so many different different uh, variations of the center position and all these different positions. So, you know, some guys the same size. Uh, you might have a 6'10", six, six, 230, 220 guy playing center. Um and, I, and also, I, I like Coloco, not to get off subject. I like him. He kind of reminds me of a young Theo Ratliff. Um, but it's different. <laughs> it's like a skill. It used to, it, it, it used to be, um, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's more of a skilled league now. You know, guys, I mean, the center can put the ball on the floor. Uh, you know, there's it, no difference between a man and a four-man sometimes, other, besides maybe that skill or what they're playing. All the guys can do – the same thing. Um, I like the direction. I like the direction of the NBA. It's showing the the, the diversity of the guys. Um, you know, you look at Giannis. Giannis is like kind of kind of a pinch of being dominant like Shaq was, but can bring the ball up the court. I mean, it's just it's exciting to me, man. I like watching. It. I don't know some of these, some of the guys that played before has got got this thing that that they that we just had to be better than them guys. That, now, there's some guys coming in because it's a different game with some serious skill that that uh, that I love. I love seeing it. I love the direction of it. Hey, Mo, l- let me let me ask you then, outside of just the Raptors' direction, the direction of the league, you just touched on this uh, a little bit, and it kind of ties into a lot of what we've been discussing over the last 15, 20 minutes. Um, you mentioned Giannis as one name, but do you think the league is in a good position as a whole to move into the next generation or the next phase, however we want to say it, that is coming soon. Like LeBron is knocking on the door of 40. He says he wants to stick around at least a couple more years to, to play with at least one of his sons with Bronny, but that torch is being passed off and handed off soon. So outside of Giannis, like, I mean, I, I've got some names on my mind, but are there other guys, a handful of other guys that you think that, not only excite you to watch, but that you think could carry the torch for the league for the next 10, 15, 20 years? Uh, yes, I, I do. Um, I think the way the game is evolving, I like. Um, I, I really like what John Morant's doing. Um, he's a special player. I like uh, Spider Mitchell. Um, 
else? Who else in the league I like uh, that, that are young guys? That um, let me see. You put me on the spot right now, man. Um, no, hey, you see. gave me three. There's nothing wrong with giving three. That's good. <laughs> um, okay, so let me ask. You, what, what was the what was the question? What was the question? Well, I'm thinking about guys that not just that you like, but that can carry the torch. Because it's one thing for a former player to sit here and say, "Yeah, I like Donovan Mitchell. I like John Moran. I like Giannis." Like, you know, I, I would I would look and say, obviously, a Jason Tatum or even a Jalen Brown. But are they going to be the superstars like a LeBron? Like we went from we went from you know Michael into you know kind of Kobe and LeBron, and like it's like is there that that star that's going to be the draw because this has been such a golden era because not just Kobe and LeBron, but then you think of obviously Steph Curry and you think of Shaq being a part of all that too. You think of Tim Duncan and the great Spurs teams, all of that stuff that that's poured into it. But I wonder, does the league need that one or two, those poster boys, or do they have them? Are there those guys that those, those types of players and personalities that exist? They got not to cut you off, but they got a guy coming up now, uh, that big, uh, Big young kid, Victor was Wembenaya or something like that. The yeah, Wembenyama. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, everybody's salivating over him. Everybody's salivating over him. I think, I think he could come in the league and and, and change the game. Uh, you know, you look at guys like Kevin Durant. You know, for good for as great as he is, and you look at Wembenaya, he looked like he had some of the same skills Kevin Durant had coming in, but he's five inches taller. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. But I think uh, I think Giannis doing a great job running, the, you know, keeping the torch. I think he got another ten, another ten, twelve, thirteen years, and you know, in, in the league, uh, the way the game is uh, is opening up and not as physical. Um, I think Steph Curry really opened the gates on what a, a future NBA player can be because he's. I mean, what guy you know that? I mean, he's unselfish. He gets in his creases. He, he, you know, gets guys the ball. You know, he does. He doesn't hold the ball. He's never. He never holds the ball as long as he's holding the ball. He's either, you know, making something happen, making the right play, but he's not holding it for a while. And then you got guys who now, who back when I was playing or about to get ready to come out of the league in a few years, that they had to have the ball run through them every time they get the ball. They're on the post or they running the pick and roll. You know, it's just. I think you're gonna see the, the NBA move move it out of guys' hands so much. You know, you, you know, if guys have it, the ball in their hands more, they might have a little less success. Or you have ways of having success playing like a guy, you know, like a, like Steph Curry, you know, skilled who can play the one and two, can knock down shots, but move just as well without the ball and allow other guys to to get going. Because I know it's hard. Sometimes when you got one guy holding the ball and everybody moving around, you got to wait to touch the ball. You know, just you might. It was sometimes I come, I be in a game and you might not touch the ball for, for some possessions. Now everybody's touching the ball on the possession. You know, you moving the ball, you touching it, and that's that's important, especially for like for shooters and guys who, you know, who used to might might be used to having the ball in their hand a, a little more. Now you at least if, even if you don't have it in your hand, I've touched it, I've driven it a few times, I've passed, I feel feel like I'm in, involved in a game, that goes a longer way than having guys, one guy holding the ball and, and trying to make something happen for everybody else. So um, I, I, think it's, I think it's good for the game. It's very good, unselfish basketball. 
unselfish. Mo, how do you balance, and Eric and I lament this all the time, how do you balance putting a little bit of, a little bit of defense and physicality back in the game on that side uh, to, I mean, we love the offense, but, man, some of these guys have free reign that you, you can't even breathe on them, and it's a foul. And I think of, you know, back in your day, it was hand-to-hand combat in the lane, and, and there weren't a lot of doubles yeah. because the one-on-one matchups – you could be more physical. They would let you away with a little bit. I, I mean, stuff that we laugh at now that is called flagrant ones, you would, you, you know, back in the day, that's, <laughs> that's a basketball foul, man. Get up and play ball. Don't, don't cry to me. But it's, things have changed. Yeah, but you know what? I think guys need to take a page out of, um, out of Marcus Smart's uh, notebook. You know, here's a guy who, I mean, college, man, I didn't even know he played defense. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he averaged 27, 28 points a game, and here he is. He comes in the NBA, and he turns himself into a lockdown defender. And, um, you know, that that's one thing that, you know, people don't get recognition. I mean, being able to, to sacrifice – you have to sacrifice something. You know, when you come in the NBA, it's a lot of different roles. It might be a guy – you know, this guy making $40 million a year. He's going to have a ball. He's going to get some shots. What about the guy who – he, he probably can score. He can do some things, but do something to get yourself on the court. You know, that's that's what I did. I, when I got to when I got to the NBA, you know, I know, you know, Toronto. I know we had Vince. You know, we had scores. We had guys uh, in place. What was I going to do to make myself valuable to get on the court? Hey, you know what? I'm I'm going to check the best player every night. I'm taking on that role, and and uh, if they swing the ball to me, if I'm you know in, in the offense. Or, or, or earn myself, earn my way into the offense rotation. Hey, that's 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 the plus, and I turn my way myself into a two-way player. So, guys, just got to take that approach, man. I mean, everybody want to come in and be the man. Everybody want to come in and and uh, how to how the system run through them. This you know this and that. Prove yourself. If you if, if you're gonna get if you can get to that point, you're gonna get to that point. Um, you know, and nobody's gonna stop that. But if you make yourself way more valuable. By um, you know watching film, watching to see what you did wrong. Um, that's why I learned a lot of film session when I was in uh, at school in Michigan State with Coach Izzo. You know he did a great job on correcting mistakes, making sure we were in the places that we needed to be. Uh, you know sacrificing. What are, what are you going to sacrifice for the team? And you know guys just got to get back to that. You know got to get back to to understanding their roles, understanding what they need to do to win and. Uh, it, it, it's hard, man. It, it's hard watching sometimes. Uh, Oak and I were talking about, you know, every time it's a play or something happens, they got to stop the game, go look at the film, to see if it was a flagrant one, a flagrant two, or if it was the right call, man. It's just making the game longer. And um, I understand, you know, getting calls right, but it's just uh, sometimes it'd be a little frustrating watching uh, watching that aspect of it. Mo, always great catching up with you, man. Love, love chatting with you, and um, look forward to seeing you in town again. And all the best to you and your family for the holiday season. Man, I appreciate it, man. I got one more thing to say too. Another player popped in my head who uh, who gonna be who who is the man who is doing this thing, and he's gonna be around for a while. He learned from Chris Paul, and that's Shy uh, Shy Alexander, Shy Gilgis. Yeah, Shay Gilgis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I look forward to watching them play, man. Uh, I appreciate y'all for having me on. It's always good talking to y'all. 
Always great chatting with Mo Pete, and uh, look forward to having him on again. I mean, I know he's one of the all-time fan favorites, Jonesy, and uh, great. Listen, great talking to him about, like, not just the NBA and history and everything else, but, man, we're talking health and diet. And, and I, I, I heard your wheels spinning there as you were asking more and more questions. Are you going to be going down this vegan path or something? I've flirted with vegetarian no, a couple I'm... times, Jonesy. I've done the vegetarian thing, but, man, I don't know if I can give up cheese. Well, I, I, I just, I'm always interested in um, what guys, when they make those changes, what, you know, Mo said he felt better. You know, Mo says he feels better. Well, I'm always interested into what, experimenting like him. What are those changes? Do you want to try that to see if you feel better? Um, and, and it's always good to get a testimonial. So the, that's all. That's, that's the only spot I was going with it. The only thing I can pass along to folks is, of course, if you are of legal age, more red wine is never a bad thing. Maybe there's a flaw in that theory somewhere. All right, let's take a break here for a second. Yeah, Come back maybe, with maybe, Doug Smith of maybe. the Toronto Star. Again, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, rate, and review as well. We'll continue with more in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. I'll keep saying it. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it may be. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And a guy who knows all about the podcast world, Mr. Internet, Mr. Social Media, longtime veteran writer covering the Toronto Raptors and the NBA since day one that the Raptors rolled into town, Doug Smith. Smitty, always love having you on, and I'm going to start in the exact same spot with you that we did with Morris Peterson about 25, 30 minutes ago when Mo joined us to kick off the show. Um, and I know you saw him on Wednesday night in Toronto as well, and it's, it's great to see Mo and to, to see Oak and former players coming to town and everything else. But putting all that love stuff aside, one of the things we discussed with Mo, especially as a former Ironman who played 371 straight games, an issue came up with the Laker game in Toronto, and it's not a new issue. It came up a few years ago, obviously, with the Raptors quite a bit when Kawhi Leonard was going through, quote-unquote, load management. And the NBA has attempted to curtail or, or stop as best they can players resting, especially superstar players. But the issue that I guess I have, that I think a lot of fans have as well, Smitty, is as much as the league is attempting to be more transparent with injuries and the legitimacy of injuries or illnesses teams themselves organizations themselves including the raptors including mlse continue to have tiered pricing and dynamic pricing and major major increases for bigger names and bigger teams and bigger opponents and that raises the issue of say when the lakers come to toronto and lebron james and anthony davis don't play and you've got you know, in bits and parts, at least a, a third or, a, or or half a team that looks like a D-League team playing in front of a bunch of fans that paid two, three, four, ten times the amount of money for that game than they might have for a game with, say, the Charlotte Hornets. I know this is an extremely long-winded question, but is there an answer, a solution, a resolution to any of this from the league, from the team, and from the fans' respective different perspectives given given the realities of, of the world and professional sports i don't think teams should be allowed to surge price t- price games i don't think they should have tiered games because you don't know who's playing and the prices are high enough anyway it's not like they're not making any money at regular prices 
So I think that's an answer. I think dropping any kind of tiered issue is, is a, a thing that teams should do. But I also think the league has to – the league's done a really good job in its scheduling. It, it's cut down the travel days, the, the four and fives are down, the back-to-backs are down. But I think teams coming west to east or east going west, I don't think the league can let them have back-to-backs on the road. Because that's when you get guys like LeBron taking games off. That was ankle sore. But if there, if there was a day off between Cleveland and Toronto, I bet you he would have played in Toronto. And I think that's where the league has to step in and look at its scheduling system and say, okay, any team coming from the west to the east, we're not going to make them play three and four. We're going to play, make them play three and five. So the day off between each game. And they've done a good job tweaking the schedule now to stop the four and fives. I think they can tweak it more to stop the back-to-backs on teams that only go to those cities one time a year. Doug, so, I agree. Yeah, go, go I, ahead, Jones. Go ahead. I just don't think – sorry, I just – and we've talked about this. I just don't think you can have tiered pricing because, you know, and I said this before. We, we were talking with Mo Pete earlier. Uh, Eric and I pay for our tickets, and I bought tickets. You know, I had season tickets, and I paid for them last night, and – People were, relatives were excited that they were going to come and see LeBron. And I mean, fortunately, I can offer relatives tickets to another game. What if somebody, as I said, looked at that schedule in August and said, oh, LeBron, the Lakers, December 7th, close to holiday or Christmas time, and we'll give it as a gift. And you know what? We're from uh, Timmins and we'll drive into Toronto and we'll stay Wednesday, we'll see the game Wednesday, and then we'll stay Thursday, Friday, and drive home Saturday. Like, it, it, it just, everything is, is thrown out of whack there. So I, I agree with you in terms of the tiered pricing and, and, and the schedule. But if you shorten it, Smitty, I think if you shorten it from, and they won't because they're making too much money, from 82 to 72 or 75, guys are still going to miss games. Question. No question. And, and injuries are going to happen. Like, Anthony Davis getting sick in Cleveland is unavoidable. That, that's a thing. That just happens. And stuff like that happens in every sport, in every entertainment industry. You go to Broadway and a guy gets sick, the lead of the play gets sick, he doesn't perform. They're not going to give you your money back, but they're also not going to cost you, charge you more for a Thursday night or Friday night as they do for a Monday night. So I think the surge pricing is a big issue with me because you can't guarantee quality of, of the game. You can't guarantee the availability of the star players. That you're 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 charging people significantly more to watch the Lakers one time a year, so I that's probably the first thing I would dump is tier pricing. But then I think the league has to work on the scheduling too. So Smitty, uh, at the at the at the risk of beating this topic dead, I do have one other question point to raise, and I I don't know if you agree or not. Um, I'm in lockstep with you. Listen, illnesses happen. When when Anthony Davis comes to town uh, and he's sick and he misses a portion of the game the previous night in Cleveland being sick as well, yeah, there's nothing you do about that. Here's the issue I have, though. I am still, after you know 25-plus years, I'm still naive enough to believe if a team says somebody's hurt, maybe they actually are hurt because I also have to believe that nearly every athlete in every professional sport is not 100% at any point in any given season. So you could at least convince me that, yeah, my ankle does hurt, my back hurts because – Hell, I know my ankle and my back hurts right now, and I'm sitting in a chair talking to you. But the problem I have is when Darvin Ham comes out before the game and says that a few days ago 
he approached LeBron James about taking a few games off and resting on certain situations and certain back-to-backs and knowing that it might take some convincing to LeBron, and this was a game that we had circled. I'm sorry, what? Isn't that what the league is supposed to be cutting down on and supposed to be avoiding and supposed to be penalizing teams for? That's where I had an issue. Not that, like, oh, my God, I can't believe LeBron didn't play. And, yeah, I know it did suck for the fans and for season seat holders like me and Jonesy and so many others. It's when the coach comes out and blatantly says, yeah, we had this circled, but yet they put down on the paper he's out because of his ankle. No, he's not. He's resting, period. And the league's supposed to be stopping this. They are. And, and frankly, if you looked at the schedule when it came out in August, you could have guessed LeBron was not going to play last night. Right. Third, game in, third game in four nights on the road, just wasn't, it probably wasn't going to happen regardless whether he missed games early in the year because of his ankle or not. So I, 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 I think the scheduling is a, it's a problem, and it, the league has to fix it because it, it's diminishing the product big time. Like I know last night there were thousands of people who drove in from Kingston, London, Windsor, Sudbury, just to see that game. I know there were. I, I ran into them in the hallways. And they're, they're ticked because it costs them a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort to get there to see the guy coming one time a year. And if they had played tonight instead of last night, I bet you LeBron would have played. Smitty, let's jump onto the other side. Um, we know injuries happen, but we have a guy like Fred Van Vliet who we don't know what it is for sure, but they were sure – Allusions uh, he alluded to. There were allusions made to injuries that are, well, keeping him from performing at his best. I mean, the last little while, everybody's been asking, what's wrong with Fred? What's wrong with Fred? I mean, it, it's, it's clear. I mean, they're talking about his mechanics. Well, what impacts your mechanics? Your health. Uh, there, there's got to be something there. I don't want to speculate, but on the other side of the coin from the load management, here's a guy that's trying to place through stuff he always has. He did last year. And, and this is where, you know, like I get into it with people because they say, well, you know, the minutes police are all over Nick for playing Fred or Pascal or whatever, but they're the best players. And if you don't play those guys, you don't win. So there's a dilemma right there, Smitty. Fred wants to play. He wants to help his team. He wants to play through it. But at the same time, like he needs to some rest to get healthy, to get better. So he, he can play better, but then maybe when he's good enough to play, they're too far behind in terms of the standings or whatever. So there's a real dilemma there, Doug. There is. The Lakers are not good. And there's a very real possibility that the Lakers will miss either the play-in or the sixth spot by a game or so. And last night was a game. And he didn't play because he was a little bit sore. And if he plays, maybe they win. And maybe in April, you look back and go, man, if I don't take that Toronto game off, we got 42 wins instead of 41 wins, and we're in ninth place instead of 12th, and our season goes on. So, yeah, teams, it's a huge gamble for teams. I get it. I get guys are hurt, and I, I will never question a player saying I'm hurt because you guys know. I go back to J.R. Richard in a baseball. Malinger. Roberto Clemente. Malinger. Well, Richard had a stroke. Clemente, had a, Clemente was banged up all the time. If players say they're hurt, players are hurt. And they know their bodies better than I do, their trainers do, than their coaches do. So I'm not going to ever kill a player for saying I can't go because something's wrong with me. But I do think the league and the teams have to make it easier for the player to say, okay, well, I got a day off. 
I can play tomorrow night. I just can't play tonight. Speaking with Doug Smith from the Toronto Star, Smitty, kind of looking big picture. You know, we're we're kind of uh, just past now the quarter point. I guess technically we're we're right around the 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 third way, the third mid. What the hell's the actual English here? The third. What, we're at the quarter point. The third point. Does that make sense? I don't know. What the hell? Anyway, Smitty, how good is this team? How good can this team be? Because it wasn't until just past the halfway point last season that they really started to pour it on. This was a team that was hovering a couple above, a couple of below, or right at 500, right up until about the 45-ish game mark last year, and then they went on a tear. I think I think the Raptors are very good. I don't know that they're Boston good. I don't think they're Milwaukee good. They're probably right there with Brooklyn and maybe Philly if they get it together. But they, they, this is a it's, a, it's a good team that could be very good. And I think they got a lot of time to work it out. I don't. I get. I think last year they were. I think they were 500 in like January 23rd, grading Sunday's morning, and finished with 48 wins. I can certainly see that happening again. But expectations were raised. They expected to get off to a fast start, and they didn't for you know injuries, illness, mixed up rotations, mixed up lineups. Guys not playing well. But I still think when it's all said and done, they're right in that mix of three, four, five behind. Boston and Milwaukee. Doug, is there any pressure on the front office in that sense? I mean, we all kind of have that uh, or see that potential and know what it could be like on paper when everybody's healthy. It's, it's still early. I mean, we're just the beginning of December with the trade deadline in February. It's, how important is it to get this team healthy so you can have a good look at them and make proper evaluations in terms of making moves going forward if you think you're, you want to make trades or shore up the lineup or, you know, a guy like Gary Trent in a contract year who's expiring. Like what, how important is it right now for that to happen? Because as Eric said, we're a third of the way through the year and there's still an idea, a potential, but there's nothing concrete as yet. No, there's not, Jonesy, at all. And they got to get, I think they need a month of Otto Porter healthy and Precious Achua healthy before they know what they are and whether what they then they can do for with Gary Trent or the draft picks or Flynn or Banton or any of those guys who are or Ken Burch who are cap ballast guys in trades. But I think they need a month with nine guys instead of the eight they're playing now, nine or ten, to find out what's what. Like I'm convinced that Christian Coloco is going to finish the year in Mississauga because he's a placeholder for Precious Achua right now. But Achua's got to play to find out the best back. And I think Porter is the three-point shooter that they desperately need. They, I, I know that their, their, their numbers are a little bit down. Fred's are down. Uh, Scotty's three-point shooting is a little bit down. They just don't have enough. So, But they got to get the guy who they got to do the job in their lineup to find out how much they need that second shooter, third shooter, and I think they need all of January to do that before they go in the middle of 1st of February and, and do the trade deadline because they got a lot of possibilities. And I just don't know whether they're going to pull a trigger on them without having a good baseline to know what they got. So, Samidi, let me ask you to pull out your crystal ball here. And listen, I, 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 I'm not going to hold you to this because it's anybody's guess, but you just mentioned the possibility. Remember anyway, right? Uh, yeah, say that again? No one's going to remember anyway. Well, I'll say anything. <laughs> Exactly. I won't, I won't tweet it out and put it in black and white. It's just, just between the three of us right here. Um, 
if if this happens as you just kind of theorize or speculated, if Precious Achua, when he's healthy, comes back and moves into the starting lineup, do you keep the starting lineup then as is with obviously Fred, Pascal, Scotty, and OG? I can't imagine who you would suddenly move to the bench because then you've got two shooters coming off the bench still in Porter, healthy, and Trent. Or do you want one of those shooters in your starting lineup to help space the floor a little bit more and hopefully improve your overall shooting, which, as you just mentioned, has been a bit of a struggle with the numbers down for Gary and for Fred and for Scotty and for others? Like, How do you see the second unit, the rotation overall playing out when, I underscore when, if this team is ever finally fully healthy? I think you can play both Porter and Trent off the bench, and one of them is going to have it every night. Maybe maybe both of them have it some nights, but if one guy doesn't have it, maybe the other guy's got it going at night. And I do think it you got to – I think – I've always thought you got to play your five best guys the most minutes. And their best lineup, I'm convinced, is Van Vliet, Barnes, Ananobi, Siaka, Machua. I've been convinced by that since the, like the last month of last season. That's their best group, and I think that group's got to play it. And then you, you figure it out. Who's got the best hot hand that night? Porter or, or Trent? And they get the majority of the shots off the bench. And frankly, one of those two is probably going to finish every game. Because every, no team, precious and true for all he is, is not going to finish a lot of games. But a guy like Gary Trent or Otto Porter is. So I, but I think you can bring them both off the bench and figure it out night to night as you go along. And you bring off... Uh, uh, Boucher, and you let him do his stuff, and then you're okay. I, I really think you're all right that way. Doug, last one for me, um, and I just want to talk about the East in general. I look at, I mean, I look at the standings, and it is so tight. I mean, these games that we're playing now in November, December, January, you referenced it earlier. They're going to have a long way. They're going to have a big say in, in what goes on and what seating is determined in, in April when we start to play in and start the playoffs. It is, in my eyes, it is that tight. I mean, as we record this now, if you give the Raptors the game that they had, that they threw away in Atlanta or let get away in Atlanta or categorize it however you want, instead of being, you know, in a play-in, they're they're in a, in a solid spot up at like three or four. It, I just think it's that tight this year in the East. Gotcha. And then, Jonesy, the biggest thing uh, to me is all these games count towards tiebreakers. And I know it's only, it's only early December and you're not thinking about that, but I think there'll be so many teams with like 49 to 46 wins in each behind Boston and Milwaukee. The tiebreakers are going to be a huge deal, and that's going to be the difference between third and seventh. I really think that. So these, at least the Atlanta game is a huge one because you're right. That was if they finish in a tie with Atlanta, they might not have a tiebreaker, so they finish behind them because they gave away a game that they really should have won. I think Brooklyn's the same way. You know, they, they could have got, they should have got the first game in Brooklyn when O'Neal made that three pointer. They didn't play very well. They played like crap against them here, but now they're toast with Brooklyn. So I, there's a everything is significant right now because everything is so bunched. I, that's why the, the, there's a trip uh, or just before Christmas is Philly, New York, Cleveland. Those are three huge games for the bigger picture, for the for the April tiebreaker level. And I'm sure they think about this because they know 
how tight it's going to be at the end of the year. But they got to win these games. They got to win some of these games because they got to get an advantage because everything's going to be so close when it comes down to the crunch time in the last two weeks of the year. Smitty, always appreciate the time. Great chatting with you, and uh, we'll be seeing you again real soon. All the best. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks for having me. Always good chatting with our friend and colleague for damn near, what, three-plus decades now, Doug Smith from the Toronto Star. And, Jonesy, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this. It's uh, obviously um, a sports story, but a, uh, a political story, a news story as well. And on Thursday, uh, news coming out that Brittany Griner has been released uh, from a, a Russian prison in a in a in an exchange of prisoners between Russia and the United States, and certainly again, as I say, something that has uh, uh, you know news connections, political connections, and then just merely from a humanitarian standpoint and a sports standpoint, Brittany Griner coming back home to the U.S. and perhaps back to her professional career as well. But either way, just maybe having her life back. Yeah, it's it's a big story. Uh, it's a big story and. Uh, it's more than a sports story, although I'll give the NBA players and WNBA players a bunch of credit for keeping Brittany Griner in the forefront of everything that's going on, um, you know, the way she was detained. And, and look, there are some people that will say this isn't a fair trade, uh, but, it, you know, it, it's too much. It costs too much. My question would be, is there a cost on a person's life? Uh, you know, she's going to be home holiday time, reunited with her family. Yeah, the, you know, the U.S. probably feels that they let go of somebody that was, uh, you know, that they had detained for other reasons that were that was more dangerous than than Brittany Griner. OK, but to me, what price is there on someone's life? So I'm I'm happy for Brittany Griner, for her family and kudos to the NBA and WNBA players that kept this story alive and at the top of the uh the charts in in the public eye to make sure that it happened and you know the american administration uh governing administration for 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 getting it done and getting one of their citizens back but um you know there's always there's always questions that will go with it but to me there's there's no uh there's no price on a human life Folks, again, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, or otherwise download, subscribe, rate, and review fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan thanks again to Morris Peterson and Doug Smith for our producer, Austin Mack, and for Paul Jones. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.